Thank you, music team, worship team. So, this morning, we're talking about change. How does, <laughs> how does that word make you feel? Perhaps for some of you, perhaps especially for the younger ones, change might be exciting. New people, new experiences, new educational opportunities, all the good things of life to taste and see and do and experience, new people to meet. Or perhaps, and maybe this is some of us older ones, change is a word that we dread a little bit. Maybe even it's a negative thing. Family moving away. That's tough, isn't it, Sarah? We've got family down south. A body that is no longer as strong as it was. Perhaps you even might notice that your memory is not as good as it once was. Maybe for you, change has brought loss of friends. This morning, we'll be using change in a slightly different sense. We'll be asking, how do followers of Jesus change? How do followers of Jesus change? How are we transformed? Some of you might hear that question and there'll be little stirrings of hope within you. Some of you might be hearing that question and something in you breaks a little. Sometimes in an honest moment, you might look into your own soul and think, can I ever really change? Church, this morning we're returning to the book of Romans. For 11 chapters last year, you heard, listened, studied, rejoiced in the great mercy of our God, his great mercy for us, the good news of God's decisive action to save humanity, both Greek and Jew, Jew and Gentile, to call people to faith, to saving faith in Jesus. The great message that despite our, our sin, God has mercy on us. Great news. But here and now in chapter 12, we're at a turning point. We're at a turning point where Paul turns to everyday life, to everyday Christian living. And the light of God's great mercy, which is the theme of, of the gospel, is a gospel theme. What does the obedience of faith now look like? Brothers and sisters, let's hear the word of God. So this is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Lord God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will speak through me and to us through this, your word. Lord, help us to change. Can we change? Can we change? How do we change? Followers of Jesus are changed, are transformed by receiving God's mercy, by presenting our bodies to God and by the transforming our minds. As we explore the process of change this morning, let's 
be clear. This message is for people who have peace with God because they trust the work of our Lord Jesus Christ to reconcile them with God. This morning, there might be some of us who are here to explore faith. You may be unsure about the resurrection of Jesus, or you may be counting the cost of following Jesus. If that's you, please listen carefully to this message, but be aware there is a buy-in. There is a cost to this change process. The buy-in, the cost to transformation is faith in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, for all who, who have sinned without the law, those of us who are not Jews, uh, will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Despite that universal judgment, that universal conviction of sin, God has made a way for all who believe in Jesus to be reconciled with God. God has made a way to relate with him as a good father. So how do we change? First, we must be put right with God by faith in Christ. So the first step to change is repentance and faith in Jesus. And it's all God. The first step is all God. If you've never come to Christ, to God in repentant faith, come to him today. Receive his mercy. Believe in it. Receive it. Trust in him. Confess your faith in him. It's all God. You receive it. You do nothing, but you say thank you. So stage one, step one to change is all God. It's something received from him. It's his mercy. It's part two and part three of change are a collaborative work. It's us and God working together. Just a little footnote or a disclaimer. I reckon whole libraries could be written on this topic. It's huge and massive, and the Holy Spirit works change in so many myriad ways. We could be here all day talking about change, but today we're looking at two verses, two small verses. So we are just focusing in on two simple steps, but be aware there's so much more. To, to this story. This morning, we're focused on two verses that are pivotal and they give us a framework for thinking about change. They're pivotal because at this point in Romans, we're turning from God's mercy to the everyday Christian living, questions of everyday life, everyday life in Rome and in the first century and in everyday life in the 21st century. And they give us a framework because Paul seems to be introducing the way he is going to think through the problems or difficulties or issues in Rome that were quite common to other situations in the first century. And we will see there are other, there are applications to our lives as a church and our lives as a state or as our, with our relation to the the state and all sorts of things as we keep going through Romans. So, step one to change was being transformed. 
to being transformed is receiving God's mercy. Step two is presenting our bodies to Christ. Presenting our bodies to Christ. Paul here is picking up a theme from Romans chapter 6, where he says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Do, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members, the parts of your body, to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but you are under grace. So we're often told, I, don't, I wonder if you could count how many times you've been told, give your heart to Jesus. Probably many a time. If you come up through Sunday school, it's probably been a weekly occurrence. Give your heart to Jesus. But this morning we're asked to do so much more than be asked to give our heart to Jesus. We're being asked to give our bodies to Jesus. Our whole lives to Jesus. Because if we are in Christ, we are priests. And priests sacrifice things. And for us, the sacrifice that is asked of us is our bodies. Our whole lives. So if you are a surfer, and I believe there is one or two in this congregation, if you are a surfer, surf to the glory of God. Worship him out there in the waves. That means when you go home, when you go to work, when you clean the house, your true and proper worship, you can do your true and proper worship there if you do those things to the glory of Christ, to God's glory. Before we knew Christ, we used our bodies to action, activate, and do sin. Even through our words, we spoke out words of malice. Now Paul calls us to use our bodies to worship. As he said in verse 18, use our bodies for God's glory. As he said in chapter 8, verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Christian discipleship, <coughs> brothers and sisters, is more than emotion. Emotion and feelings are good, but Christian discipleship is more than just emotions and feelings. True Christian discipleship involves putting to death our misdeeds, and offering our bodies to God. People, this view of life is desperately countercultural in the world we live in. According to historian Dr. Carl Truman, we live in an age which has been shaped and formed by the likes of uh, Rousseau, the Romantics, Nietzsche, Freud, and Marx. And in this brave new world that we all live in, the inner psychological, emotional person is sovereign. It's the air we live and breathe. The psychological being is sovereign, not biology, not God, and most definitely not family. The inner psychological person is sovereign. And we 
In contrast to that, are called to worship God, yes, with our feelings and our emotions, but with our whole being, our whole beings, our minds, our souls, our bodies. We're called to offer to God our whole being, which according to the ESV is our true is our spiritual worship. And you'll see if you've got other translations there, perhaps it's our true and proper worship. And as we offer our lives to him, our whole lives, what happens? The potter, God starts to mold us into his likeness, into the likeness of Jesus. As we offer our lives, our beings to him, we are molded into the likeness of Jesus. So we offer our bodies in spiritual worship. In the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, answer to question one, we are not our own, but we belong body and soul, both in life and death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So step one of being transformed is receiving God's mercy. Step two is presenting our bodies, our whole lives to God. And step three is renewing, renewing our minds. Let's remind ourselves of what verse 2 said. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This world. Ara kia whakahautia o koutou hiningaro, kia whakamatau tauri ai e koutou tā te atua e pai ai, te mea e pai ana, e mana kohe ana, e tino rite ana. Do not be conformed to this world. In contrast to the world which surrounds us, transformation is possible. And the transformation is to the will of God, which is the good, perfect, and true intentions of God. We're to have pure and holy living, right relationships with the world and with one another. We're to walk in the light, love one another, show obedience, the obedience of faith. And this, people, now at chapter 12, is the reverse of what Paul was talking about in chapter 1. Verse 28, where he says, And since they did not see to fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. We had debased minds, counterfeit minds, untrue minds, and now we are called to have minds which are true, which are the real deal. Minds that are transformed. The word translated test here, dokimazo, was sometimes used in the context of money. They tested money to see if it was counterfeit or true. As our minds are being transformed, we're to test thoughts and behaviors, lifestyles, actions to see if they're counterfeit or legal tender. Do our thoughts. Do our actions originate with Christ, our King, 
or do they originate within our own broken hearts and souls or even possibly with the father of lies? Where are these thoughts, these actions originating from? But how do I discern this? How do I test this? Brothers and sisters, the word tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we turn to the Lord. But again, we could ask, how do I turn to the Lord? A great servant of God, John Stott, makes a comment that's helpful in this context to how, in answering the how question. Here then, he says, are the stages of Christian moral transformation. First, our mind is renewed by the word and the spirit of God. Then we're able to discern what is, discern and desire the will of God, and then we are increasingly transformed by it. We're transformed by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Brothers and sisters, we have Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom and instruction for us in the Word of God, in the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit breathed out words that are effective and powerful, living and active, sharper than a sword. So how do we discern? How do we test? We submit to the Word of God. We're changed by the Holy Spirit and by the words that are breathed out in Scripture. People of God, this is a life work. This is a life work. It's a bit like that ad, that cheese ad on TV. Good things take time. Sometimes they're a bit smelly as well. Sometimes you'll be thinking, yes, sometimes we are set free instantly, transform instantly. I know we have a good friend who came to Christ and overnight she was set free from alcohol. Overnight, instantly. And no matter what she did, she could not break that transformation. However, she still is following Christ and still struggles with smoking. And she asks, why God? Why didn't you set me free from that instantaneously? The process of transformation, of change, is a life work. It's a slow work. It's a work of collaboration between us and the Spirit of God. And we are changed as day by day we put off the flesh, as we heard, and put on Christ. We're changed as we prayerfully meditate on the Word, which is the objective statement of God's will. We're changed as we test what the will of God is by immersing ourselves in Scripture. We're changed as we listen and engage with and think about and discuss faithful preaching of the Word of God. We're changed as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together to one another and to God. Our minds are renewed as we gather in growth groups to study the Word of God together. We can be changed by the process We can be helped in this process by listening to godly podcasts or YouTube teaching. We can be changed as we meet with other godly, wise Christians and prayerfully nut out what the scripture has to say, what the word is to say about a particular question 
or situation. In humble dependence on the Holy Spirit, we renew our minds through the Word so that we can discern what is the true, what is the pure, what is the good will of God. I pray that God, by His Holy Spirit, will continue this work in us. May He strengthen us through the Gospel, through the writings, to bring us to the obedience of faith, to the glory of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.